where it's a bigger problem is is non-owner occupied so your investors mm -hmm. because there's not really much of a cap on what they can do to you guys right now well the biggest one is hasn't changed in a long time and it's it's having horrible contracts mm. you know um some of the contracts i see like, like anytime you see something that says standard purchase agreement and it's two pages long you got that online or something or you got it from some guy you overpaid at a seminar and it's a piece of junk you are now listening to the real estate everybody's podcast you see this guy here staring back at you that's your toughest opponent every time you get into the ring that's who you're going against i believe that in boxing and i do believe that in life your weekly deep dive into dfw real estate life and beyond with your hosts, Tavis Westbrook and Ashton Hines. Well, good morning and welcome to the Real Estate Heavyweights Podcast. I am your co-host, Tavis Westbrook. Ashton is actually on band duty and uh, he's out of town. So I am the heavier side of the uh, heavyweight duel here. And, um, and today we've got a special guest for you, a good friend of mine, and uh and counsel as well mr matt acock and uh i wanted to let him kind of uh tell you a little bit about himself but uh welcome to the show matt hey thanks davis appreciate you guys having us awesome so matt um you and i uh crossed paths many years ago i forget exactly how long you've kind of been in the uh dfw you know real estate side of things here and um you know, I, I, I first met you, I think, across paths just when you were in the title business. Right. And um, I know that, um, you know, a lot of people talk about you. Uh, I've heard your name many years, you know, in the in the real estate investment side of things here in Dallas and DFW. But uh, why don't you give us a little bit of uh, your background, kind of just your, your quick intro, kind of where you started, um, kind of what your path has included and, and where you're at today. Yeah. So, um, you know, I, out of undergrad, I was a programmer. I mean, that's, that's kind of what my goal was. And, um, the dot-com collapse happened literally the year I graduated. So all those jobs evaporated. And, you know, obviously in 2000, that's when subprime was really starting to move quickly. And a lot of people were jumping into subprime and, um, a title company was hiring, <clears throat> And they just needed people that could type really, really fast. And so being a programmer, obviously, I could do that. So I had a pulse and everything. So they're like, hey, come on, you know. And um, so I, I kind of started really enjoying the business. And while I was working as a title examiner, um, I decided to go into um, uh, law. And, and so I started going to law in the evening and working during the day and ended up at Bank of America um, handling Landsafe National Default, which is their their title agency, and developed a lot of great connections, met a lot of really good people. Um, around 2010, first part of 2010 is when I went out on my own, started my own practice, and um, that that would have been when we would have met Tavis, because that's when uh, we were in that that mega building, the uh, Dallas Preston Road office of Kate W. Yeah. For whatever reason, you had all all of us, you know, young guys coming in there, and and we all ended up doing really well. So uh, we kind of got to grow up together, which was really nice, and uh, still remain friends with with most all of y'all. So uh, yeah. that's how we met, and then I exited the title business in early two thousand. Um, you know, I've been just focused on my law practice ever since. I'm licensed in Texas and 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 in Florida as an attorney. And uh, primarily deal with real estate investors, lenders, funds, things of that nature. But anything real estate we can handle. But but those are my typical clients are, are going to be those types. Um, recently started um, like a, kind of an alternative loan origination and servicing company, uh, which I announced yesterday. So yeah, that, congratulations. That's yeah, that's pretty exciting as well. We're looking forward to blowing that up next year. So. What's the what's the name of it? Yeah, that was called Fort Loan Services. And what's uh what what was the bridge that you were bridging the gap with 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 uh, putting that together, Matt? Yeah, so with Fort Loan, we we noticed that 
one of the things that I've always done to make money is I listen to people complain and, and I make note of it. And when I start hearing the same complaints over and over again, I attempt to buy, uh, like create a product or service that fixes that problem. You know, I don't just go out and create something and I don't really like dealing with uh, more of a commodity approach to business. I try to figure out what is everybody consistently complaining about? And then I try to find out, is there anything out there in the market that, that fixes that? And if there's not, I, I create it. Um, you know, my first thing I did like this in the real estate business was short sales. Um, I don't know if you remember, but uh, I negotiated a, a ton of short sales for people and in conjunction with handling the title work because I knew how to work the banking side and get paid more. So with this, what I'm looking at is we've got, you know, higher rates. And while I do believe we'll see a dip next year, I think it's probably going to be temporary. And, and so we're going to be in a, a market where we've got a lot of products out there with lower rates, uh, but but current rates are going to be too high for people to buy. And and so one of the products we, we offer is either subject to a wraparound servicing and origination, uh, because one of the biggest problems in that space right now that we hear the most complaints about is the buyer's paying, but the seller's not paying the mortgage. And and then you foreclosed on those. And so we want to eliminate that, that concern. Uh, additionally, property tax loans. Uh, right now, the competition in that space, they do a great job of, of helping people pay off their taxes and saving their homes, but they don't do a great job of putting them on a path to be able to get out of it, you know? And so our product's a much longer uh, amortization. So it's over 30 years, up to 30 years at least. Yeah. So explain that, Matt. So that's uh, people that are you know, somebody that's non-escrowed, I guess you you would say, right? So, I mean, whether it's an, an investor or, and, and I guess, even consumer, right? That's gotten behind on property taxes with this this massive increase over the last couple of years. Correct. Is that kind of what they're basically creating some kind of loan that, that catches that up to speed? And then you're, you're amortizing that out over a long period of time. So it's affordable for them to be caught up. Is that correct? That, that, that's exactly right, Tavis. And and while our rates are obviously going to be higher, it's going to be paying you're going to be paying less than you would in penalties and interest with the the county. So that doesn't it doesn't necessarily help the new the new rate going forward. It just pay, pays what they're behind on. Is that correct or correct? It keeps them from getting foreclosed on, and and that's typically okay. the people that would want to use us is they don't have another option, and so they'll come to us. Or perhaps it's like, wow, I was expecting to pay eight grand this year in property taxes. It's 14. I don't have it. Well, it's going to save them money to get a loan through us than to um, go into fault with the county. That's going to be more expensive with penalties and interest. So we would give them the loan, amortize it up to 30 years. Uh, There's no prepayment penalty. So whenever we're paid off, we're paid off. But we also escrow the taxes for them going forward. So, so they don't get in that bind again. And, and we also would, would keep up with what our expectations are of what taxes are going to be. So there's not the surprise bill at the end of the year that, that happens. Sure. And I've seen this too, just with the different people I've talked to and just kind of knowing, you know, you know, what happens, right. Is the people, um, especially escrowed, right. There's an escrow shortage because the tax rate goes up. Uh, like it has, especially in a new transaction. So somebody that closed on closed on a property last year, and you know the county sees that uh, update in sales uh, in the sales increase, and then they increase drastically for the new year. You know, and then the escrow's got a shortage, right? So then the mortgage the mortgage company, even if it is an escrowed fee, will then reevaluate what that monthly payment is. And we've seen in some cases, you know, that payment might jump five hundred dollars a month. I've, I've heard this and maybe you could answer this, but that typically the county or the mortgage company is trying to re, re you know, recapture that, that deficit within 12 months. So not only is the new rate going up, but they're also trying to collect the deficit within 12 months. But I've heard that they could extend that up to 36 months, typically with the mortgage company. Is that something you've heard of? Well, it depends on the product, Okay, but most mortgage companies have more flexibility than they offer off the bat. So, right. so if, if, if you have a mortgage company and you have an escrow, 
shortage, then if you talk to them and you say, look, I can't afford this, you know, I need a plan that's going to help me be able to afford it. A lot of times they will actually work with you and extend that out some, but you know, until we really get some serious reform where, where it's a bigger problem is, is non-owner occupied. So your investors, Mm -hmm. because there's not really much of a cap on what they can do to you guys right now. Um, there's been some new legislation that they're trying to tweak that, but I mean, we're still a ways off before they fix that problem. And, and so what's scary there is there's no limit to how much your taxes can go up as an investor. Fortunately, most of the counties haven't been abusing that, but they could, um, with an owner occupied, there's a ceiling on how much they can raise it. So it's rare on owner occupied that you see a, a tax jump that's unaffordable for, for more than a year, unless someone already bought too much house to begin with, mm-hmm. you know? <laughs> yeah, for sure. Well, Matt, um, that's, I mean, it's, it's always fascinating when I talk to you because there's always so many different, uh, elements of knowledge that you bring, um, in, in our industry, right. From all different facets. Um, obviously my primary focus is, uh, you know, investment real estate. And so we've had lots of conversations with that over the years, but also just even, you know, the traditional side as well. And so, you know, it's interesting because you have the title background and I know just from my career starting out, you know, I got licensed in 04 and then in 2005 and six, I was doing, you know, commercial type stuff. I represented an investor and we, we bought up about 38 lots from Beal Bank. So we were direct to Beal Bank and, and then Beal Bank gave me some, some listings of theirs to sell. And, um, I realized really quickly, uh, the importance of title because we had, we had some different title snafus that happened. In fact, you know, one of the stories, uh, was Beal Bank gave me a property to sell. I sold it. We got it under contract. We go through title. And then there's a dispute because the HOA said it was their property. And, uh, you know, the bank had uh, had been paying taxes and, you know, everything else on the property as long as they had owned it. But, uh, you know, it was like a, you know, one of those quick transactions where there's probably, you know, several parcels of land going in at one time and it was just literally like um one got recorded before the next one kind of thing and it was just something goofy with that and um so nevertheless you know they ended up having to claim title insurance on it and uh you know the deal couldn't go through and uh it was one of my first times of seeing that and kind of realizing that it was a lot more than just somebody putting on a pretty smile and trying to get my business and take me to lunch and you know, yeah. ink my deal. I was like, okay, well, yeah, there's some <laughs> legitimate background here to, to, uh, to title. And there was several other situations where I realized, you know, the depth to, uh, to, to title and the importance behind it. And so it was funny because, you know, especially once I merged my business into KW in, in 2009, you know, of course there was a lot more exposure at that point to, you know, luncheons and different title companies and even crossing paths with you, you know, and, it, and, you know, we were always friendly and talking, but I was like, no, I'm pretty locked in. Whoever I've got a title with, man, is, you know, just because I'd been down the path where things blew up, you know, and so most traditional real estate agents will never experience that, right? They'll never experience that kind well, of, um, if you're not doing, if you're not doing extreme volume, um, yeah, it, it's hard to appreciate the title business if you're not doing real volume. Um, and the reason is because claims are rare. Um, so the Texas model of title insurance is, is different than other states. Every state's a little different, but in Texas, um, we, we focus heavily on what, what's known as title assurance, which, which means that getting it right at closing. So, mm-hmm. uh, loss prevention, claim prevention at the closing table, as opposed to, risk insurance. Now there's still the risk insurance component, but, um, so we have title plants, all this really expensive process, title examiners, which are very, you know, well-paid, you know, guys that really know what they're doing to, to make sure that when you close, you shouldn't have any problems. Now it's not to say you won't, 
you know, and if you were a guy like me, you'd think every closing had a problem because I don't get calls to say, hey, I just wanted you to know that closing went well, no problem ever happened. I, I don't get those calls. It's always, hey, this is this is a problem. But th- where, where I got my, my business heavily in title was, um, you know, one, I had the best closers in the business. We all say that, but it's true with me. <laughs> um, most, most of the girls are still in it and they... They're legendary. Everybody knows who they are. But the other thing was people knew me as the guy that could get a deal done. Um, And so I would get referrals from other title companies that couldn't necessarily figure out how to close it. Um, And and there's some really creative strategies to navigating complex title problems to where you can solve pretty much anything that comes up. There's only been maybe a couple of times where I'm like, that's just not insurable or it's not reasonably insurable. There's, there's just not enough money to justify insuring this deal. Yeah. Uh, but normally you can figure it out and that's kind of what really kind of helped me launch my business. And, um, now I have affiliations with multiple title companies and, you know, and, and so I help them out, you know, give them, you know, my, my thoughts whenever they run into a problem, I'm like, Hey, this is how I would do it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so get a lot more deals done that way. So usually there's an answer. I try not, I try to tell people don't give up too quickly, you know, because uh, yeah. it's easy to give up. Well, I think my, my biggest challenges over the years, uh, with just it, it, on the investment side and just, you know, onesie twosie kind of, kind of uh, single family residence has always been probate, right? Anything that's ever yeah. tied up in probate, my longest closing history ever was two years and two and a half months of escrow <laughs> and we finally got it done and it was i mean it was beneficial to us we we actually took the risk and paid the um paid the seller's taxes and we paid oh, wow. I, I believe okay. we even donated money to the attorney who representing the seller um uh, and paid that just to get the deal done because the the market had increased i think we originally contracted it in like 2011 or 2012 and closed it like 13 or 14 i obviously remember okay. How, yeah. how big the market jumped. So yeah, appreciation there alone covered that out of pocket. It, so, it, exactly. Yeah. So we just kind of looked at it like, Hey, we're going to spend this in marketing to get another deal. So if the deal flops, then we're out this money. We're out this money, you know, like it's, right. it's worth keeping the deal engaged, but it was a mess. It was, you know, one person that was dead after the next person that was dead after the next person that was dead. And, you know, it's so on and so forth <laughs> going down the channel chain of time. I've got an and, interesting one like that right now that I'm fixing for, for somebody, I think. So, um, th- yeah. those are fun that, you know, they do take time, <laughs> you know, so you got to buy them. Yeah. Right. But, uh, but they are fun, um, to navigate. Yeah. Well, that's something, you know, it, it's funny in all these different podcasts, nobody ever really talks too much about like title on these kind of things that, you know, that come up. Um, right. And obviously, you know, you can make a lot of money on probate leads and estate deals, but you know, sometimes this is where it gets, gets really hairy and it's usually not fast. Anytime that I've ever gone into contracts with something and somebody said it's probate, especially the last couple of years in Dallas County. So we went into one, um, you know, I was actually wholesaling. Well, I, I decided in January, I got the lead. It seemed like it was going to go a lot faster. Thought we were going to wholesale it. It gets stuck. I had to go through probate. I don't think we closed it till October. Wow. And at that time, the value had gone way up. And uh, I'll even throw them out. But uh, it was Kevin Brown being the uh, the end buyer. And so, <laughs> of course, it came back around and the value went up like 65000 And I'm like, uh, Kevin, you want to give me a little bit more on this one? <laughs> Kevin said no, I bet. Yeah, oh yeah. No, he was like, what are you talking about? You know? And of course I was giving him a hard time, but yeah, he was like, yeah. what do you mean, man? I've been here the whole time. You know, like, yeah. you know, well, I'll take it down if you know, if you don't want to do it. He's, no, 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 I want it. So anyways, um, it's kind of, uh, you know, kind of funny, but all right. So, you know, 2010, obviously at that time, you know, we're coming out of the mortgage crisis. Uh, you're getting into title at that time. Things are ramping up. Uh, REO is big at the time. Um, short sale was starting, you know, I think my very first short t- short sale deal that I ever did was actually in 2005 and it wasn't really heard of at the time, but, um, they did exist, but it, it was actually fairly easy to get that one done. 
And then, of course, then they gained a lot of popularity and things got crazier and crazier. You know, people are talking about short sale again. You're starting to hear that term being used again in today's market. Yeah. You know, I think the challenge with that, right, is most people have equity. You know, they may be behind, but they've got equity in their property, right? Is that kind of what you're seeing today? And yeah, what what's your thoughts on the REO market coming back? So the, okay, so... I'll talk about a bigger issue uh, that'll okay. kind of answer that question. If you look at when we when we experienced the um, subprime collapse and all that fallout that took several years to get through, a lot of that mortgage debt was owned by mortgage-backed securities. So it was owned by the private sector. And, and so the private sector was saying, we will pay, we will invest this much money for this kind of return on this type of product. And, and so if we were still valuing mortgage product the same way, so if it was primarily mortgage-backed securities and whatnot today, back in the mortgage market, mm-hmm. you know, interest rates would be between 11 and 12%. That, that's what they would be, just based on historical norms, how the markets are. That's where they should be. The difference is that currently <clears throat> the bulk of um, mortgages are backed by Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, FHA, and VA, right? While Fannie and Freddie aren't, they're not exactly the government, they kind of are, you know, uh, because they're backed by the full faith and credit federal government. So they can always be, you know, federalized or privatized or quasi, you know. So I think a lot of the rates being lower is an artificial influence from pressure from the government. If you look at where we are in terms of, defaults, um, those, those are relatively high. So we should be seeing more foreclosures and more short sales, but we're not really. And instead we're seeing a lot more, uh, workouts kind of like modifications, you know, mortgage companies are working with, with borrowers a lot more because they're not playing as much with house money. Some of it's house money, of course, but it's not just house money. Like it, like it, like it was back in subprime collapse. So, so in my opinion, Short sales don't go up, but but I don't think they're going to go up like people are expecting. One because of what you said, equity, but two because lenders are more incentivized to work with borrowers this go around. And plus, we're coming into an election year; they don't want to have a big mortgage crisis in an election year, which is also right. why I think we'll see a, a, a dip in rates twenty twenty four, at least temporarily. You know, because otherwise, otherwise, you know, anybody could run, and and no way Joe Biden could could win you know so i think that short sales are coming but we're a little premature in my opinion got it we have to see values drop first yeah and obviously i mean dallas you know overall i mean even even through the mortgage crisis when other parts of the country were were dropping heavily you know we we never really saw a dip right i mean you saw you know the biggest issues were you know people trying to sell their home that were 100 percent financed and didn't have the you know money to cover the cost of sale, right? That was one of the biggest things we saw. You That's saw right. a little bit in some of the track home builders and the production builders. You saw a little bit of you know situations there uh, in our area, um, in some of the outlined areas. Um, you know, you, you saw some of that happen. It was, usually, but I mean, overall, yeah. it, 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 it was usually stable. people doing one hundred percent financing. That, that's usually what it was. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I think. During that entire time period, one of my assets only gained, I think, 0.3% in value one of those years. Everything else I had wow. went up yeah. more than that. Yep. I, I didn't lose yeah. any money on anything. Yeah. Um, but then again, we we didn't have this, this massive appreciation that we've been experiencing here uh, in recent years either. Right. So yep. were, were it to happen... Today, um, I think we would see massive retraction in values and massive short sale losses and things because we've had such a jump in values in the last few years that, that uh, I don't think I've ever seen anything like it yeah. in Texas. You know. So Matt, let's let's talk a little bit about. Um, so then you said twenty was it twenty twenty when you when you sold out of title and. Um, 
Yeah, 2019, 2020, uh, I exited okay. the title business. Um, okay. You know, it's the, the title business is hard. You, you make a lot of revenue, but there's a lot of expenses. Um, I ran a pretty high margin, so I was one of the more profitable operations. But um, to keep that going, you're, you're constantly having to deal with um, the personalities. Um, yeah. You know, you've got no other way to put it you got a lot of high maintenance people you deal with whether it's buyers sellers agents lenders closers everybody expects a lot out of you and so it's a very time consuming from a management standpoint business and yeah. and for the margins you're making as a business owner it's just hard to justify to do it for very long in my opinion yeah well and it's a tremendous amount of volume right for for yeah. little return per transaction yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, I was doing, you know, around 300 deals a month is what we were doing, Yeah, you know, wow. which is pretty good volume. Yeah. So and you, you get out of that, obviously COVID hits transition in, and then all of a sudden now you're dealing with, um, you know, representing several different clients, um, you know, with the, uh, uh, you know, that are landlords. And, yeah. uh, you've got tenants that are squatting. So I know that was, uh, you had a field day with that <laughs> throughout the we last did. couple of years. And, uh, we did, you know, you know, honestly, we'd only done a handful of evictions before 2020, um, yeah. because there were evictions were always designed and meant to be super simple. And, and so there was just no point in people hiring an attorney to do it unless they got appealed to County court at law. Well, as you know, um, all the, the shutdown orders and things like that, it, it kind of threw a wrench into everything. And then they had some pretty stiff penalties if, if you made a mistake as a landlord and evicting somebody. So uh, we saw that as an opportunity and we jumped in that space. And I will tell you, we had no trouble kicking out deadbeats. Um, yeah. Now, if you had somebody that, that was truly impacted by COVID, I mean, Nobody was going to kick them out anyway. First of all, they were getting right. assistance, so the landlord's being made whole. Uh, people we were kicking out, and we did a lot of it, were, were people that instead of paying their rent were buying boats or whatever. Right. And, and they had plenty of money. You know, a bunch of them found themselves not having a place to live, which they deserved it, you know, because yeah. a lot of our clients were individuals. They, you know, W-2 guys that have like two or three rentals, and they're about to go bankrupt because – their tenants not paying the the rent, you know. Yeah. So and they're using it as as a crutch, right? Yeah. I mean, so yeah, we, we had no no qualms kicking them out on the street. We did a lot of it. Yeah. So. That's awesome. Yeah, I, I know we've we've um, we've definitely talked about it several times. Some of the crazy stories and things, no, even even here ones, recently, yeah. things that have trickled trickled yeah. on, you know, that have extended yeah. out. Uh, yeah, um, I, mean, I was Ryan very Jackson. fortunate. Ryan Jackson, I, very, I think, I was, has one of the best ones. It, it, you know, it, it is pretty uh, funny. Oh yeah, yeah. I'll no, share that with sure. you sometime. Yeah. You know, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he he actually bit keyed me in on that a little bit. So yeah, that's that's pretty funny. But uh, you know, we um, we were very fortunate. We didn't have any uh, any mishaps through COVID on any of our rental properties. I think you know, I've talked about this before, and you and I've talked about it. You know, I think as a landlord, you just have to have. Uh, you know, very real conversations with your, with your tenants. And, you know, it's, it's, it's a matter of understanding that everybody goes through life and things happen and, and different situations come up. But, you know, I, I think having that open relationship with your tenant where, you know, there's an expectation of what I put out is what I get back. And just having, you know, that clear communication with the tenant, like, Hey, if, there, if you get into a problem, you know, please, reach out. This is what I expect, you know, rents due on the first, it's late by the third or it's late by the fifth, you know, this is what we expect, you know, and I, I pretty much tell anybody in my, one of my 12 months is like, Hey, you're standing in my retirement, you know, like the way I'm giving you this property is the way I expect it back. These are important to me. I want it to be like a home to you. And in fact, in my rules and regulations, the very bottom line is, you know, treat this home as your home and enjoy it right? Enjoy your home, you know, make it, make it your home. Um, and so, you know, we've been, we were very fortunate that, um, I think everybody was able to maintain, you know, jobs and, and, uh, and pay their rent through that time. Obviously a lot of other people were not as fortunate. You know, I know people, 
that were uh, like my son at the time was in the service industry, you know, service industry yeah. shut down. Yeah. Uh, no, you know, so obviously things yeah. like that happen, right. And you've got to kind of prepare. And, you know, we've also talked about this before, you know, as if you're going to get into investing and you're going to be a landlord, you got to make sure that you've got reserves. You got to make sure that you're, you know, you're, you're running this uh, as a business and as an operation and, and being prepared for things like that to, to happen, you know, it's not yeah. something you want to do, but you know, in the past years ago, it wasn't related to any kind of uh, situation, but you know, I had a tenant that lost their job, you know, but they were great tenants and they had been there three years before and, mm -hmm. you know, they were a double house income, but one of them had lost their job. And so, you know, I made it work with them. I was like, Hey, you know, I want you to stay. What do we need to reduce the rent to just to keep you going and basically drop the rent down to where, you know, I was either break even or I was negative a couple hundred bucks a month mm -hmm. until they got a job again, you know, and then we picked it back up and it was just like, you know, if, if you got to be creative, right. And I think that's one thing yeah. you do well as an attorney is it's, it's, you know, you're always very creative and you're thinking outside the box and, and, you know, coming up with a solution, right. Being a problem solver. I think at the end of the day, yeah. that's, that's what you do really well. And I think in the space, in this world, uh, whether you're a traditional real estate agent or you're an investor, you've got to be a problem solver, right? I agree completely. And, and, and I would say that, you know, one of the keys that most people don't think about when they're trying to solve a problem is the solution has to be performable. And, you know, if it's not performable, what's the point in doing it? And, and I've, I've had deals where I'm negotiating with someone uh, for a client and, you know, the other side's like, hey, we want, you know, 10 grand a month or something. I'm like, well, you know, then no deal. We'll just file bankruptcy because there, there's no need. I'm, my guy can't do 10 grand. You want me to go yeah. to him and say, look, you have you can't eat for the next six months. You can't leave your house. You can't have electricity and all this stuff. And you're going to have to sell off a kidney or something because you there, there's just no way. He doesn't make 10 grand a month. I'm like... Let's be intelligent or just say that we don't want to do a deal. And, right. and, and I think if you approach it with a mindset, you got to do a deal that's, that's performable, you know, whether you're a landlord or, or, you know, doing some other type of investment, anytime you approach a, a problem like that, um, you're, you're more likely to have an outcome that you're going to realize. Otherwise you're just setting yourself up to have another failure. Um, so yeah. So that that's the way we try to always approach problems, you know, ones that are performing. Well, well, leading into that, what what are some of the biggest mistakes you're seeing, you know, investors make today? Whether you know they're wholesalers, they're they're fix and flip, they're you know buy and hold guys. What are you seeing? You know, people. Are, what do you think some of the biggest mistakes are that you're seeing constantly over and over again? Well, the biggest one is. Um, it hasn't changed in a long time and it's, it's having horrible contracts, mm. you know, um, some of the contracts I see, like, like anytime you see something that says standard purchase agreement and it's two pages long, like you got that online or something, or you got it from some guy you overpaid at a seminar and it's a piece of junk. Like, like you should never use it. I mean, most of, most of the guys I know are scared to have adequate contracts be executed by by people and so they try to they, they want to have as small and abbreviated as they can well that's fine as long as there's never a problem but if there's never going to be a problem you don't need a contract at all just do a handshake right you know the contracts there protect you if something goes wrong uh, yeah. and if you have a, a very defective contract um, there's not a lot i can do for you after the fact there's just really not so that, that's the number one problem that we see, and it's everywhere. Um, everybody does that, especially the new guys. The The second one is is more of a newer problem. There's you're, this, you're seeing that more in wholesale, or you're seeing it both, like, both, fix and flip like and wholesale? Every bit of it, yeah. Okay. They just don't pay attention to their contracts, and then when something goes wrong, they come to us to hire us, and we're pretty limited uh, sometimes, yeah. like, like I've seen contracts that do not have a specific performance clause for the buyer. And I'm like, well, you, you did this contract. Earnest money is your only thing you can go after, which is your money. 
Um, mm-hmm. There's no specific performance clause, so we can't force the seller to sell. And by the way, you said there's no attorney's fees if you win. So, like, I mean, you can give me a billion dollars and, and I can't make that any better. Like, I mean, you screwed it up when you contracted. And so that's the kind of stuff I'm talking about is they don't, they don't put enough thought into that aspect and and that's a big issue and and the other one that's that's really um it's, it's a newer issue but we're seeing a ton of it is people that are doing um they're buying properties where there's a quote-unquote tenant in the property that is going to have to be removed after closing mm. and the seller doesn't want to deal with it right I mean, if you're an investor, you've heard this before, and, and most of the time it's true, and it's not really that big of a deal getting them out, but there's a trend going on right now, and I'm not going to talk about it too much because I don't want to give anybody any ideas out there, but <clears throat> essentially, the tenants claim that they were buying the property under an oral mm. contract. Now, in my opinion, that there's really no way for them to win that kind of a lawsuit against you as the buyer, but they can create enough problems. Even, even an attorney that doesn't really know what they're doing, create enough problems to where they can tie that property up for a year and a half, two years or more. And, and so you're better off in my opinion, talking, having a conversation with that tenant, or at least making sure that somebody does. And, you know, maybe getting something from them saying that, they're a tenant or what, you know, just so you, you can say, look, I was a bona fide purchaser. I spoke to this occupant and because I spoke to them, they made it clear they were a tenant. I assumed I could kick them out after closing. They never once mentioned they were buying it. You want to be able to say that because it's going to help your case later. Mm-hmm. Um, the other aspect there, though, is we can still get them out. You know, you just have to factor in that cost. Um, to, to get it to the finish line is that there could be a cost there. So anytime you're buying a property that has an occupant, you want to op- offer substantially less if you can't have a conversation with that occupant. Um, you know, I would offer substantially less. Um, if you can't speak to the occupant. Right. If you can otherwise speak to the you want to try to, yeah. uh, Otherwise, you want to try to talk to the occupant and see what the plan right. is and yeah. get a feel if they have any plans to move out or they're wanting to stay or... And, and, you know, and typically just so you, you get your guys know, uh, title insurance does not cover typically rights of parties in possession. So that means if that occupant claims that they were buying the property and they file a suit saying that they, they're buying the property, title insurance may not cover that. So mm-hmm. you, you may be stuck with your own, you know, defense bill. So wow. you want to keep that in mind. Those, yeah, those are the two biggest things I'm seeing right now. Um, that's a good word. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I see that quite a bit, right? I mean, it, you know, because landlords, I mean, it's something I look at, right? In my own portfolio, yeah. I, at, at the 12-month rentals that I've got, you know, they've gone up, you know, significant in value, right? Mm-hmm. Um, to what's owed on them. But, you know, if I sell it, you know, um, you know, in the residential market, you know, to try to get you know, retail value, which, you know, they're renovated. They should, if the, if it wasn't tenant occupied, but otherwise as tenant occupied, the the rent rates are so much lower than what the value is right. that, you know, it doesn't, doesn't make sense to sell it with the tenant in there. Right. Or, right. or, or if you have to sell it, you're going to end up getting a much lower offer that way. So I think some people are doing it just because they're ready to pull some equity out and they've got a, a big chunk of equity sitting there. Right. And uh, and they want to do it. It just doesn't logically make a lot of sense to be locked in to whatever that rent rate is. You know, somebody wanting four hundred thousand for their house and their the tenants paying two thousand dollars a month. It just right. Doesn't make sense. No, you can't. You know? The math doesn't work on that. Yeah, especially leverage with a loan, right? Correct. Yeah. So, well, that's awesome, Matt. Um, you know, I appreciate that. Um, what do you, so you talked a little bit about kind of what you see, obviously going into election year. Um, and I know people are pulling you all the time, kind of getting your opinion on that. What, what are some of the, the good things going on right now? I mean, where do you see, like if, if you're a brand new investor starting out or even 
somebody that's seasoned and um, you know, we're, we're starting to see a little bit of a shift in wholesale, right? We're getting them deep enough to, to yeah. where they make enough yield is starting to kind of fade off a little bit. And, um, you know, so even in my business where, you know, since 2019, my wholesale business has been pretty healthy and the flip side, you know, I've been able to cherry pick a little bit more and now going to a new year, I'm going, Hey, I'm going to have to flip more again, you know? Um, I'm starting to see that. Are you are you seeing some of those things? And what are you again? What what are some advice? Just people just getting into this business. What are you? What are you? What are you seeing out there? And and the other thing, I guess, which um, part of your lending business, right? I'm starting to see that there's a lot of talk again about subject twos and mm-hmm. and and buying notes. Yeah. And, you know, I'm seeing a lot of popularity of that growing, and even other agents I know that are starting to get offers now, you know, that are, uh, oh, yeah, definitely. you know, set up as uh, subject to kind of, uh, propositions. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's why I started the business that that is where the cheese is going to be for a while. And I'll, I'll, I want to touch on subject to just a little bit to kind of demystify it. You know, there, I'm not going to go way in depth, but, um, one of the things that I hear a lot about people that don't understand it is that they believe that, it's illegal um, and it's not um, it, it does violate the due on sell clause of the mortgage. Not a big deal though. Um, Cause when you violate the due on sell clause, the lender has a right to exercise the, uh, that clause and call the note due. They don't have to. Um, you also don't have a duty to inform the lender that you did. Uh, you have no duty to inform them. So, you know, for that reason, the, the risk of them calling it due is minimal, but it can happen. And and one of my fears is that with rates going up like they have been, lenders may rethink their position on that item. Um, I doubt it, but they might. So if they do and start calling them due, that's the big risk in that space is you could be left, you know, holding a bunch of product that you can't you can't liquidate. I think that subject to stuff is going to get pretty good. Um, I think that, you know, with that, you can do wraps. If there's too much equity for the seller, you can do a wrap, which is where they add to the debt. Um, yeah. I like the idea of it. I think it's a, it's a good move as long as everybody understands what they're getting into. If they don't, then, then it's a problem because it is going to make it to where that seller most likely can't go out and get a new loan. Um, I don't, like doing it with FHA and VA. I have talked to both the VA as well as HUD. They're not currently pursuing people for doing it. But because FHA and VA are what's known as qualified assumable products, I think you should go through the qualification process to assume it rather than just do it. Um, and, And it's because those two programs involve a government benefit. And so I think everybody would agree that, you know, if, if like, let's say, Tavis, you, you wanted a house and you want an FHA loan, but you don't qualify for it for whatever reason. So you're like, hey, Matt, will you buy this home, get an FHA loan for me, and then I'll just take it over. Well, I think everybody would agree that something doesn't smell right there and somebody might go right. to jail if they found out about right. it. Right? Yeah. So if you do it, Several years later with somebody you didn't know at the time of origination, it's a little different, but it ain't that much different. So I've always had concerns with FHA and VA. I think people are very, they're, they're too aggressive when they do it on those. Well, I know one yeah. of the big things with FHA is, is owner occupancy, right? So that is that, how does that work on, I mean, have you seen that on an assumable qualification? Is, are they requiring somebody to be an owner occupant at that point or does it i'm not an expert i'm not an expert on it but yeah either fha or va or both i can't remember allows non-owner occupied i can't remember which one or it may be both um i know i know va does um yeah and fha if you've lived in it then you moved out i mean you can keep the fha loan valid right i I know that um but i don't know you know, with the intent, right? Like if, if, if it's there and you can, but maybe, I mean, I, I, I would see that, I mean, if it's already operating as a loan and it's there and it's assumable, then, you know, 
I don't know what those guidelines would be, but yeah. So, um, the other thing that we're working on, um, you know, I've got an uninsured product I can do now. I'm trying to get an insured product available. I've been negotiating with some underwriters on it. And that's where you can buy properties with a loan at the foreclosure sale. Because, you know, mm-hmm. currently you can only buy it. You can only buy a loan at the foreclosure sale if it, I mean, you can only buy it at the foreclosure sale if you pay cash. Right. So it's going to make it to where you can pay with part cash, part, part leverage. Uh, it will be a hard money product. Um, I've been working with, you know, the hard money lenders that are our clients on it. And, and essentially what we've got is we've got the ability to show you what all we would be willing to lend on each particular property is up for auction that day. So, you know, going into bid what it is you, you can bid. Right. Mm-hmm. And then when you're successful, we have, a you know, the mobile printing set up to where you sign the docs right there, notarized, gets e-recorded and uh, and then the property's paid for. So that's the that's the process of it. It does work. You know, we've beta tested it, but but we haven't done it. Yeah live auction yet uh it does work and i and i think it could be a, a pretty valuable tool next year for newer investors to find a different way to buy property being able nice. to buy the actual auction and when, when you're saying that. insured versus uninsured you're you're talking title insurance is that correct? correct yeah so right now i don't have a solution to get a title policy on it i will tell you that it's it's an outside the box kind of concept and as you you know from being in this business most title companies don't like outside the box, yep. which is fine. But I am still talking to a few to see what we can figure out awesome. because I know it's way more attractive if you can get title. Well, and I know, you know, and, and if you're buying from the auction, you should have, you know, some things in place to run title searches on those properties mm-hmm. that you're yes. bidding on. Right. Yeah. Um, and then we had George Roddy Jr. in here uh, a couple of weeks ago. So he's a good dude. Um, I like yeah. And, uh, you know, he, just talked a little bit about the volume they were doing back in the day with uh, oh, America's yeah. Home for Rent, but um, you know I, that was one thing I learned from him. And and you know we would he had a service set up that we could buy into when we were buying auction, and we could right. send him a list of properties, and they would run title searches and pay twenty five dollars a property or something along those lines mm-hmm. or whatever it was to 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 actually get. Um, you know, at least a, a, a true title search done to see what kind of liens were outstanding on those properties yeah. before you buy them. Because I think that's probably one of the biggest mistakes. People do that and they have no idea what they're buying and what kind of liens are sitting there because they're buying it uninsured. <laughs> yeah, if you if you if you don't know what you're doing buying in the foreclosure sale, it can be pretty bad. I, I've known people to buy um, a second lien thinking they were buying the whole thing oh, and gosh. find out they've got like a $250,000 loan out of them. Um, oh gosh. Yeah. And uh, there's just nothing you can do about that. Like you're just yeah. dead. So those are bad. Buying at the property tax sale is dangerous if you don't know what you're doing. But yeah, I, I mean, if I can make it a little bit <clears throat> of a cleaner process for investors to buy at the foreclosure auctions, one, I think it'll, it'll increase what the banks get back on their foreclosures, which is good. You know, because I think people would end up paying more if they could get a loan yeah. at the sale. But again, it's it's um it's a little bit of a complicated process to put together. But we're ready. I just I'd like to get it insured. I'd like to get an That's insured awesome. product for it. So, Matt, uh, just to kind of wrap this up, you know, that, uh, let us know where we can where we can find you and kind of your you know your top things that. Um, that you're doing today as far as, you know, I know uh, I've used you for, you know, you and your firm to help, you know, stack some of my protection, you know, uh, entities, you know, for the different properties I own. Uh, I know you're there obviously for litigation. I know that, um, you know, obviously now doing the lending stuff and just, you know, a, a sound voice of reason and legal advice when it comes to the real estate space right now, anything you want to add to that or just kind of highlight here to wrap this up and, no, I mean, I think that's a, that's a pretty good summary. You know, I love real estate and, you know, and I'm, and I'm more on the investor side. I always have been just, just simply because I like, I like to think, um, you know, and I like to solve problems. And, and, and so I've always enjoyed it a lot more, but yeah, as far as 
you know, reaching me goes, I'm, I'm pretty accessible. Um, I always tell people, I don't answer my phone if I don't know you. I mean, if I do know you, good chance I won't either, but I always call back. But, um, but yeah, so I mean, leave a voicemail or, or text you. Just text me. Yeah. Text me, yeah. you know, and if it's, I will say this, one of my pet peeves say, is, Hey, I listened to the real estate heavyweight yeah, podcast yeah, and yeah, I'm calling yeah, you or I'm texting yeah, you. <laughs> yeah. Well, one of my pet peeves is like, I've got a, I've got a quick five second question. If you got a quick yeah. five second question, just text me the question. Don't, don't expect a call. Um, if, if right. you need a call, it's because we have a discussion, which is fine. But, um, but either way, yeah, but I, I when you are an attorney, you, you yeah. do charge by the, by the second and the minute. So, yeah. yeah. And I, you know, I was just jo- so people know that. I charge in 30 minute increments. To, no, I'm kidding. But, um, but yeah, no, but my, my number, you know, I don't mind giving it out. You know, it's the easiest way to, to get all of me. It's, it's 972-342-8188, you know, or you can look me up on Facebook. Um, I post on there occasionally, but, uh, you know, yeah. so you can hit me up on there either way. Matt Acock guys, Matt Acock. So, uh, Matt, it was a pleasure having you, man. Thanks so much for taking time out of your morning here. Um, you know, as we're getting into uh, in, into the Christmas holiday here coming up this this coming week. So, thanks again for your time this morning and jumping in, and um, you know, just all of your knowledge and expertise that you put out this morning. So, um, yeah, thanks. We for are the Real yeah. Estate's Heavyweight Podcast, and um, Ashton is not here today, but. Uh, as always, you can always follow us on, on social media. We do have a YouTube page now as well. It's real, the Real Estate Heavyweights podcast. So stay tuned. We're uploading um, our videos as we've been doing these podcasts. And uh, you can find us on uh, Spotify as well as uh, Apple Podcasts and any other place that you want to listen to podcasts. And, uh, of course, on social media, I'm Tavis, like Travis with no R, Tavis Westbrook here and you can find me on uh, different platforms and Ashton Hines, the Dallas real estate guy as well. And again, thanks again to Matt Acock till next time. You guys have a great week and we'll talk to you soon.